This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Almost the middle of June, not quite. You know, wonderful weather coming our way. A little bit of cloud, a little bit of rain here and there, but sun is always shining when you want it to be. And real estate in itself um, looks like the sun is still shining on it. So, folks, today's show, we've got a lot to talk about. And uh, a little bit later on in the hour, I'm going to have Romana King uh, join me again. She is senior editor, uh, real estate specialist at Money Sense Magazine. I've had her on as a guest before. Absolutely. Absolutely awesome, awesome guest. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of the best places or the best rated places to live in Canada. And you're going to be surprised. Uh, Where do you think the GTA is going to show up? Uh, I think you're going to be shocked at the answer. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been in the news this week, because there has been a lot going on. And, um, you know, the government wants to weigh in and, and you hear them. There's ripples of the government wanting to start taking a little bit more ownership with this hot real estate market. So there's all sorts of ideas floating around every single time you pick up a newspaper or something that you're looking at online, everything.com. It's amazing how many people have opinions on what the government should do to cool the housing market. Now, the real question is, is that when they started having this conversation a few weeks ago where the government's saying that, they, you know, maybe they're going to have to intervene, where exactly are they going to do that? In other words, the, the, the sheer mention of going to a 10% down payment right out of the gate, instead of just 500 to a million requiring that 10% down, they're saying right out of the gate, 10% down. Well, who's that going to affect the most? My, I personally think that that has a huge adverse effect on our first-time homebuyers. And for those of you out there just wanting to beat the uh, radio right now, I agree with you. They should not make this the problem of the first-time homebuyers. If anything, they should be giving some credits to you to be able to get into properties. We need to change the mindset of the government because they are going at it the wrong way. They think, hey, listen, let's just make, make, make it you know, harder for people to buy properties. So let's make them come up with more money. Everybody needs to start somewhere. Everybody's going to be a first time home buyer in their lives. Do not affect them. Where we see this huge overheated market, and I not, you know, I, I don't agree even with the analogy that the market's overheated. It's just un, under inventoried right now. In other words, we don't nearly have the inventory that we had last year. So those numbers are down. So prices are up. But look, in the GTA, there are still homes transacting. We still had a record month in sales in May. Yes, prices have definitely escalated 15 to 18% over year over year. But what did you expect? I mean, you know, everybody's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe the houses are going up so much. Well, there's just that much demand. And sooner or later, as the demand lessens, then the prices will start to not, they're not going to go backwards. We're not going to see a crash here, especially not in the detached market. But in the end, what we have to do is be realistic. You know what? Prices are coming up. Now, the Vancouver market's a different animal. And it was interesting because I was having a having a conversation uh, this week with Ryan Doyle. And part of it was, could there be a flipping tax introduced in Toronto the same way that they're trying to force it into Vancouver? And let me let me first and foremost start off with what is the definition of flipping? 
it's not the HGTV version of take this house and flip it or buy this house and flip it. Uh, That is more a a contractor approach where somebody actually buys a property that needs a lot of renovations. They'll go in, they'll get their contractors, they'll do the work, maybe some of it themselves. They'll make it all, you know, kind of clean. I always say, you know, putting lipstick on something or smoking mirrors and then they flip it and... It's amazing because when they turn around, they say, you know, actual profit is this, you know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. Everybody goes, hey, that was amazing. I made it. Look, those shows are great. They are great for your imagination. But the truth be told, they don't always show the delays that actually happen. So be very leery when they turn around and say, yeah, I, I was able to flip this, do the renovation, and flip it in sixty days. Look, as an ex-contractor, I can tell you that just doesn't happen. It's not all that smooth. And when you have a crew like some of these TV shows do, you know. They've already predetermined, you know, what kind of permits do they need, what kind of applications, everything else. There's a lot behind this. So don't just think that in one hour in a show that you can turn around, turn around and formulate a major renovation that you can flip a property. So let me get back to my explanation of flipping. What we've seen in uh, only in very, very few cases in Toronto, and this is one of those things. If your neighbor's house comes up for sale, boom, multiple offers, sells you, look at the price and say, hey, wow, that's awesome. That means my house is worth X plus. Then what happens is, you know, 60 days later, another for sale sign comes back up on that house. That is truly a flip. So people are buying it just for the price appreciation, maybe in a hot market. Well, we're seeing more and more of that in Vancouver because Vancouver's in that market time marketplace is that the inventory is so tight. There's so many buyers. People are tying up a property And during the time from it being firm, being sold firm to them, and the time of the closing, they actually resell the property. Now, that's a real flip. That's where somebody's sitting there saying, hey, I I own a piece of paper here. I'm going to flip this one. We also see flips happening with brand new builds. And this is where I always tell everybody, you need an assignment clause to be able to do a flip. So if you've bought right, and if you bought, let's say, a brand new uh, condominium 10 years ago when the prices were down and it wasn't going to be finished for six years, some people had a huge appreciation. Values went way up. And yes, there was money to be made, but they just simply sold a piece of paper. They didn't take title, didn't cost them money. That's, that is truly the best definition of a flip. But you can flip homes all sorts of different ways. One is you do the renovations. The other, of course, is you knock the house down and you build. But that is now a developer, a home builder. And they've got skin in the game because they've had to go through the entire process of getting permits, doing new foundation, build brand new, construction, everything. Ultimately, Ann, that is a that is not a flip. But some people will say, hey, listen, they're buying that home to flip it. Well, look, if they're knocking the home down, they're not flipping the home. They're not, not they're not not investing. And so when we take a look at money, money is very important when you are actually making it a business. And that's what builders do. So never, never look at them and say, oh, just because they, they buying up the neighborhood. Look, they're builders. That's what they do. It's not a flip. A flip is for sale sign goes up, sold sign goes on maybe a month, a couple months later for sale sign goes up, sold sign goes on. They never occupied Ultimately, in the end, they're flipping, and that's what we are going to be careful with. And in Toronto, we're not seeing a lot of it, just so you know. Uh, We don't see a lot. You can check the real estate board. When you look at a a, a municipal address, when we don't see multiple times these turning, then we don't have it. So the idea of introducing a flipping tax in Toronto makes no sense. Now, when we talk about a foreign investment tax, 
I think ideally what we should be doing is we're telling people, listen, you need to occupy, you need to put a tenant in there, or if not occupy it yourself, and you have to hold on to it for a longer period of time. And if they don't, then they increase the capital gains. And of course, that means the government's going to be happy, they get more taxes. So probably not a bad idea to introduce something like that as a solution. But look, at stay tuned, because we're going to be watching this uh, throughout the year and find out, is the government going to step into it? I know um, our, our dear Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Trudeau there, you know, he brought it up in his news conference this week saying, uh, oh, we have to take a mindful look at it. And we're going to put some resources. Apparently, they're going to spend about uh, half a million dollars on trying to determine if uh, if we are in need of having a flipping tax. Hey, folks, here Here's, here's, here's one of the things I would suggest. Um, if everybody could have them call me, I'll have a conversation with them and, you know what, put the $500,000 into a direction that it should be, uh, maybe back into the taxpayer's pocket. Uh, also, this week, interesting thing happened. Um, everybody knows uh, Zane Kaplansky. Uh, he's here on air with us at News Talk 1010. Um, you know, he's got uh, his delis and his landlord locked him out. And it was an interesting story. I was talking to Jerry Agar this week about it. And what it is, and, and I'm going to take this, take Zane out of the equation altogether. And we'll talk about commercial leases. When you are a commercial tenant, you don't, it's not the same rules and regulations as you are as a residential tenant, completely different, different acts. So residential tenancy act versus commercial tenancy act, they are not the same. They don't have the exact uh, same reporting. And when you're a commercial landlord, you actually have um, more ways to be able to get somebody out. So if they're in, if they're in any form of default, literally you can go change the locks when you're a residential uh, tenant. If you're in default, they have to take you through the process of the Landlord Tenant Bureau. Um, so when that happens, um, you know, it takes a lot longer. So landlords just can't kick somebody out. So what could have happened there? You know, um, Zane was uh, quoted on saying that, you know, there was some work repairs done and he didn't think he w- should pay for it. I don't know ultimately in the end if he did. But in your lease, and this is the thing, and it doesn't matter if it's a residential or commercial lease, your lease means everything to you. Read it. Read the fine print. If the landlord, and normally it's the landlord that actually creates the lease in a commercial situation, if the landlord tells you you are responsible for a heat source, a water source, or anything in the building, even if it is not your your use, meaning if the hot water tank is pumping into apartments, but not into your actual building, but he says it's located in your part of the building, you're responsible for it. You could be liable to take care of the costs unless you have a side agreement with the landlord. So again, this is this is a situation where it's a landlord versus a tenant. And uh, I hope for, for Zane's uh, sake that he does get through it. But there's a lot of gray area here. And, and unless you actually can read the lease and take a look at it, what your responsibility is, landlords do have a lot of rights in the commercial uh, area. And so they can make everybody responsible for absolutely everything that they, uh, they have in the actual unit itself. And if you do not pay for things, if the landlord deems that you're not doing what you're supposed to do, they do have a right to turn around and close you down. And it's really, really hard to get around it. So uh, I wish them best of luck with that. And of course, it's one of those situations that 
my best answer to everybody on this. Make sure you read the fine print. Make sure you know what you're signing. And if you read it twice, read it a third time because you probably missed something. So very, very important when you do it. Hey, listen, as I mentioned, coming up right after the break, I've got Romana King joining me, uh, as you know her as a guest here at Simply Real Estate. And uh, I'll tell you, awesome lady to talk to. We're going to be talking about Canada and where is the best place to live. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now, more of Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Just before the break, I was talking to everyone about flipping homes and the idea of what a flip is. And instead of just hearing my take on it, um, I'm going to bring in my special guest, as usual, uh, Romana King. She is Senior Editor and Real Estate Specialist at Money Sense. And uh, welcome back to the show, Romana. Thanks for coming on. Glad to be here, Todd. So, lots in the news this week. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, that we're kind of flagged with, um, and I'll start off with the new TREB announcement from the Competition Bureau. Um, you know what? It looks like, and, and, and I think you and I, you know, having a chat about this earlier, we realized that, listen, this was a long time coming. It's about time that, you know, maybe, you know, uh, TREB lets go of the stranglehold on the information. The public have been wanting it. Um, you know, what's your take on it? Well, I think smart realtors have um, have always wanted to be able to provide more information. They, they realize they're not data gatekeepers anymore. They really are a service provider. They provide contextual information. So you have access to all this data, which is just raw information. They contextualize that information, provide you some details, and, and help you actually navigate the real estate market. That's a smart realtor. The ones that don't quite get that, they're still holding on to all this information as if it's gold and as if this is what's going to sell or, or make or break a deal, and it's not. Uh, I think that, the, that buyers and sellers are far more savvy. They're far more intelligent now. They want that information, so they feel like they have more control over that decision, but they still want someone that understands the market, understands you know what's going on to, to guide them through that process. It's, it's a lot like having a financial planner. I might understand money coming in, money going out, but I still want someone who understands you know perhaps much more than I do in a contextual fashion and I hold my hand as I make some of those major decisions. Now, a lot of this, obviously, being available in the U.S. for years, um, you know, are we all going to gravitate towards that? I mean, right now, this is more of a ruling for TREB. Looking at CREA, the Canadian Real Estate Association, you know, um, they, they, they aren't saying that, you know, it's going to happen throughout every board. But can we see Canada going this way, uh, the entire, you know, the entire country having to open this up? Yeah, I, I think I think the real test, the litmus test, was whether or not Treb would be forced to, to pass over. They're the largest real estate board in Canada. Uh, you know, once you know, there's about a hundred in Canada, and once Treb, the largest one, goes, I think the the rest will fall like dominoes. It's kind of hard to say no. We should hold on to this information when all the other ones are are being told no. You don't have to, or you you actually have to release this information. So Treb was sort of the 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 litmus test. They've been told that they have to do it. I think we're going to start seeing you know some of the boards do it voluntarily, and some of them are going to be you know legislated to do it. But at some point, all of Canada will have access to this sold information, this historical sale information in their neighborhoods, as well as commission rates, much like what happened in the States. You know, in 2006, some of these you know, legal battles were launched. 2008, there was a ruling. Before you knew it, all across America, you had you know easy access to, to information, to data. But the, there are still real estate agents making a good living in, in America doing real estate deals. But 
because data doesn't replace a real estate agent. No, and I think that's a great point because just because you know the numbers doesn't know doesn't mean that you know how to decipher it. And I'm pretty sure when our listeners hear that and say, "Oh yeah, Todd, that's all I needed. If my neighbor sold for 1.2, that means my place is worth 1.3." <laughs> you know, and so I'm just going to be able to throw it in the market myself because you know you and I both know there are people out there that look at it from a private deal perspective or perhaps a discount broker saying, "Look, we'll just load it in the MLS. You do everything yourself." And so there's a lot of different ways to to transact in real estate, you know, but as, as we've said here on the show, you know, we believe in the full-time professional agent, the people that are educated, experienced, know marketing, have client lists, have the ability to, to negotiate, know how to do multiple offers properly. I mean, there's a lot of inexperienced people out there that are transacting. And so the first thing that they're willing to give up in, in any case is their commission. And, and I'm a full, I mean, I'm with Money Sense. We're a personal finance magazine. We built our reputation on this, so the do-it-yourself investor. I still think that there's room in the market for the for sale by owners. I think there's still room in the market for you know some of the the the, the you know a la carte realtor services, and there's room in the market for the full service. I think the, what we really try and promote is education. Educate yourself on the decision you're making. If you're going a la carte, understand exactly what you're paying for and what you're getting. That means you will probably have to do some of the work yourself. Just be aware of that. If you're doing for sale by owner, you're probably going to have to do quite a lot of the work by yourself. But if you know that, and that's the route you want to take, excellent, go that route. And then there's the people like myself, I'm a full-time employed individual. Do I have the time to sit at home and, and have that viewing and have? Probably not. So I might go with a full-time, you know, transactional re- uh, realtor, someone that actually does this for a business, for, for a profession. Yeah. And this makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things, you know, when you mentioned uh, for sale by owners, a lot of times I'll encourage people that are going that route is to have a meeting with their lawyer as well, because this is where you're going to rely a little bit more on a lawyer to mm-hmm. make sure that everything is done properly. And, you know, there is there are ways, you know, um, a lot of times, that, you know, years ago when this first started coming under the gun, a lot of people said, hey, listen, you know what? Lawyers are going to be also the realtors of the future for a lot of the performance of the transaction being negotiation and paperwork. And so a lot of a lot of the lawyers out there are prepared to be able to do a little bit more if if the real estate industry starts to fall off a little or people are transacting more for a fit from a FISBO uh, perspective. Even when you're using a full-time realtor, it's, it's really important to get a lawyer involved. Often your legal bills will be less when you have a full-time realtor because there is sort of that gatekeeper making sure that the things are sort of T's across and I's are dotted and it's not as it's not as messy, shall we say, when it gets to the lawyer. But, you know, when you don't have a real estate agent involved, a lot of new bills, a lot of pre-construction purchases, you're not going to have that realtor. Lawyers will do more work. They will, you know, cost you more. But the reality is if you're paying a couple of extra thousand dollars up front to a lawyer, you're probably saving yourself tens, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands in the long run should something happen, you know, down the road. Protecting your interests and and from both sides, actually, if if there is a buyer buying a for sale by owner, um, you know, again, they need to turn around and make sure that they're covered. You know, things such as conditions, you know, put them in, make sure you protect yourself. You know, we've talked about latent defects when people, you know, with, with home inspections, you know, do they disclose things? There's all sorts of things that can come up and it's always better to make sure that you've got the right people looking at it. So absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you listen, we've got lots more to talk about today. Um, you know, one of them of course is going to be talking about the best 
places to live here in Canada as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what the government wants to do to intervene with the uh, real estate market. So uh, would you mind hanging around for a few minutes with us? Uh, Absolutely. Excellent. So folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, I've got Romana King as my guest today, and she is senior editor with uh, Muddy Sense and um, always a wonderful guest. And we're going to be talking more about um, what's going on in the market with the government. What are they planning to do? Or are they doing anything about it? Are we just going to let the market go as is? Will it burn out all by itself? What's going to happen in Vancouver? And we can talk probably a little bit more about the idea of a flipping tax. And um, you know what? I'm sure a lot of people are saying, yeah, look at that flipping tax. No, Uh, no. Flipping is, of course, when somebody's turning around and selling it for profit. So anyways, stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. If you're just tuning in, my guest today is Romana King, and she is real estate specialist, senior editor at Money Sense Magazine. And just before the break, we were talking, of course, our favorite topic, real estate. And we're talking about TREB and them uh, actually going to loosen the stranglehold on some of the information. And Romana, one of the things that um, obviously is in the news, and I believe an article that you actually had written, was some of the best places in Canada to live. Yes, it was actually uh, compiled by my colleague Mark Brown, and it's a it's a huge, a very very in depth deep dive into 219 small, medium, large size cities in Canada, and we ranked them on uh, a whole number of facets, everything from crime to arts and, and culture to weather uh, to affordability for rent, as well as affordability for purchasing a house and disposable income. So there's lots in this package, and we actually break it out so that we look at you know the best places to retire, the best places to raise a family and the rest, best places to uh, if you're a new immigrant. When we take a look at something like this, and, and I've got the list in front of me, um, you know, when I search the first page, I don't find Toronto. Uh, well, Toronto, I mean, bigger cities gain because they get, you know, they have usually have a larger income, larger, larger average annual income, because that's where the jobs are. But they lose a lot because affordability of housing or the crime rate is, is a little bit higher. Um, so Toronto doesn't come in until about 43. But if, when you're looking at 219 cities across Canada, number 43 is Toronto, number 44 is Vancouver. It is quite respectable placing, actually. Well, I, I, I guess I would agree, except for number one being Ottawa. <laughs> okay, so, you know, if we're looking at places to live, you know, I, I have to tell you, I, I wouldn't think Ottawa was at the top of the list. And is it more because of affordability or why, why is Ottawa number one? Well, Ottawa has a lot going for it. It has a, a very high average income for for families, um, probably because there's a lot, a, lot, a huge government section there that that employs a lot of people, um, and it's it's also got great housing affordability. So, although you've got a lot of um, uh, you know bureaucrats and, and government employees there, the housing isn't you know completely strained because tons of people aren't moving there you know for speculative job improvement. They're moving there because they've got a job. So you, you've got those two factors, and that really does help. I think it's also does really well because a lot of money goes into arts and culture and into sports. And, and that's a good way of measuring, you know, a city's ability to get provide a work-life balance. You know, you've got a, a lot of good amenities to help you enjoy your life, not just live and go to work. 
And so it does quite well in our rankings for some of those reasons. You know, it's interesting because even though you gave a lot of other reasons, I'm still stuck basically on the first one saying government employees, high income, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when, when, when we're taxpayers and we hear that stuff, is they're like, government employees, high income. Wait a minute. Okay. No, I, I, I'm just teasing. But, you know, ultimately in the end, when we look at it, it's, you know, we, we obviously want to compare big markets, smaller markets. You know, as we go down the list a little, Burlington, in fact, popped up. And Burlington seems to be one of those uh, one of those cities that's actually having a, a huge rejuvenation and becoming a little bit more mainstream. Yeah, I mean Burlington is is a, is a, both a city unto itself as well as a sleeper community. So it actually has you know commuters that go for to Guelph, they go to Toronto, they go to Hamilton. So they actually funnel workers to quite a few different. Uh, in the neighboring metropolises. But Burlington itself has, has quite a great sort of area that you know, to raise a family has its own infrastructure. It's really put a lot of money into the downtown core. So you've got, you know, quite a, a huge rejuvenation. That's brought new families in. It makes it a great place to raise a family as well. Um, the income is quite good. And as well as the affordable housing, there's there's quite affordable housing when you look at a Burlington house versus a Toronto house. It's quite affordable, and you might still have that Toronto income. So it, it really makes it a great place to live uh, for a variety of reasons. Commuter distance is great. Housing affordability is great. You know the amenities. There's a lot of new amenities. They've pumped money into the city to actually build the city up. Yep. And then when we take a look on the very, very bottom, there's Glasgow, Nova Scotia. Oh, yeah. So, you know, how does somebody get rated to be the bottom the bottom city on this list? Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of different factors. And we, we actually don't look at any place as being a bad place to live in in, uh, in Canada. And New Glasgow, it does get hit a lot um, for a variety of reasons, mainly because, you know, job prospects there are quite rough. Like, it, it's hard to get a job. If you've got a job, it's great. But if you don't, it's going to be hard to get. Whether it's kind of an impact on this one, but employment hurts, you know. And you've also got people leaving to find employment, and that's going to hurt the city too. We look at population change as being something that's important. You need to have just enough population growth to, to actually keep the momentum of your population and of your growth in, in your economy and your city, but not too much so that you're building your infrastructure and putting strain on it and not, uh, not less. And they actually score quite less. People are moving out to find jobs. It's a great list and, um, you know, easy enough for people to find and, and take a look at. So, you know, really, really important. Um, so next topic, of course, is the government wanting to weigh in controlling what's going on in the real estate market a little. Um, our dear Prime Minister, uh, Mr. Trudeau, this week had announced that uh, government's going to do a $500,000 study on uh, foreign buyers, trying to figure out, you know, is this a problem? What do you think? Well, this is not unknown, and it's not you know brand new news because we knew that in the budget that he was going to allocate that half a million on that specific issue. He wanted to take a look at foreign buyers and, and understand how it impacted the Canadian landscape. Now we know when he talks about the Canadian landscape, really we're talking about Toronto and Vancouver, Vancouver in particular, the mainland. We're talking about overseas buyers, not just American buyers. I mean, I think I think American buyers actually account for over half of the purchases in Canadian real estate when it when we talk about international international buyers. Um, but really, we're looking at people with lots of money, international buyers coming in and buying homes that locals cannot buy now. They're, it's pushing the prices up. They allocated half a million to try and help understand it, not simply because they're you know, so blind they don't see that there's a problem, but there is an issue between local, provincial, and federal 
governments being able to actually communicate. Local governments actually collect certain information, property tax information. Municipal, uh, sorry, provincial governments collect another set of information. And then the federal collect another set of information. At some point, we have to allocate money to actually get all three levels of government communicating and developing a system so that there's a uniform way of actually tracking how many international buyers and how this impacts the the economy. Yeah, and and here here's my one point though, and I think that um, obviously Vancouver is the the biggest market that's struggling with it, but we still hear a lot of mention of it in Toronto, and I still want to caution people to say that you know they're not the ones typically driving up the Toronto real estate prices. In other words, the foreign buyers coming in that are not residents here aren't typically the ones that are driving the Toronto market. There's a supply and demand issue here in Toronto, and so what we've been able to watch as far as transactions, it's not like people are buying these homes and leaving them vacant in Toronto as they are doing in the Vancouver market. Yeah. So there is, there is a difference here. And this is why the idea of Vancouver introducing the flipping tax versus Toronto doing it, you know, when people are buying some of these old, old style, you know, wartime bungalows, they're knocking them down, building up something brand new. But yet, you know, they're, you know, people, the end users are buying them, the families move into them. In Vancouver, we're seeing more vacancies because they just simply put the money there and forget it. And that's the problem is that if we, we look at this as being one real estate market across the country, and that's why the federal government has to tread carefully. You, you put a flipper's tax on here, it might not impact the Vancouver market, because really you have builders coming in, knocking down the old housing stock in Toronto, building something that families want, and then selling it. A flipper's tax is, tax is really just a, 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 a different way of saying we're, we're going we're gonna to tax the income of people that are building new homes. That's what we're going to do. And so people that are actually making that money on you know, rejuvenating the, the, the home stock in Toronto, we're going to tax you. We're going to look at taxing you. Maybe an extra tax, maybe more tax, maybe we'll be, scrutinize the tax because some people use capital gains to be able to shelter some of that income. Well, they're going to start taking a look and saying, no, that's not capital gains. You're earning an income on that. That's income tax. So that's another way of putting it. In Vancouver, they're looking at, well, how do we actually soften the foreign buyers? And there's also builders out there that are, are taking old homes and, and building up the, the big homes to try and get more money out of that. So yep. they really have to tread softly, understand exactly what they're going to impact, who they're trying to impact, what what's the end so, goal. So we want the local people to be able to buy local homes. Yep. So I'm going to have you hold there. Um, we're going to go to a quick break, but stay with us. We'll be right back with Romana King. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, Romana King uh, is my guest. You've heard her here several times with us. Uh, she is senior editor at Money Sense and a real estate professional. And one of the things that, uh, Romana, you and I have been talking about, obviously, is markets, uh, foreign buyers, and, you know, where the market's going. You know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's, you know, flagging people right now to, of concern. But yet on Thursday, the Bank of Canada says house price increases in Vancouver, Toronto, likely unsustainable. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's code for it's going, the bubble's going to burst at some point. And, and I say bubble very loosely. I don't think there's going to be this sudden crash of the real estate market in Vancouver and Toronto. But I think what they're saying is, you know, we're starting to see supply has been strained for a long time, but we're starting to see demand taper off a bit. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's a good thing for our for our listeners to understand. When people start talking about bubbles and and things bursting, it doesn't mean that you're going to have a huge retraction in price. It does mean though that things can start to flatten off. So in other words, you know, if we've if we've maxed out our increases, maybe we go back to a standard marketplace of a 3 to 5% increase on an annual basis, which is again, you know, pretty much a sustainable number. In, in a lot of uh, a lot of areas, but again, it's not the now we're going to have a retraction of thirty or forty percent. Yeah, I, we might actually see a retraction of thirty or forty percent, but in very isolated markets in very specific regions of each city. And that's the thing with real estate is, I made a comment last Friday where I said, you know, we're seeing these high numbers, these historical numbers, you know, seventeen and a half percent increase in six months in Toronto alone. And, you know, is this the top of the market? Is this the peak? And it's really hard to, to time the peak unless you're looking. In hindsight, and you say, oh, yeah, there was a peak. But we're starting to see these peak prices, and yet a demand is coming off. I think buyers are starting to realize, you know what, I can wait. Or they're starting to realize, there's nothing out there in my price range. I'm going to have to wait. Uh, and so what happens is eventually sellers will get that message. There's not as many buyers out there, and they'll start having to actually correct their price, lower their price. And we're already seeing that in certain areas in Toronto, in the greater Toronto area. Houses that are going up, and they have to drop their price in two weeks, and drop their price in another two weeks, and drop their price in another two weeks. And before you you know what, they're 60000 less than their first initial price. That doesn't mean that they're selling the house for a loss. It just means that they're not getting that peak price anymore because the market's starting to correct. Right. And and again, when people are pricing, they're still trying to achieve a higher price than, let's say, the last sale. Because yeah. people are of that mindset that saying, well, listen, two weeks ago, my neighbor sold for 1.1. That means that I can build on that, so I should get 1.2. Instead of saying, hey, listen, if I got 1.1, I'd be happy because, you know, I originally paid four hundred for it. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a mindset in value and yeah. everybody is trying to outdo the next person instead of being really satisfied on what they're able to achieve. And I think that's the toughest thing is helping people understand, you know, it, it mar- you know, two weeks can mean a lot in a market. You just don't know. And, and just because your neighbor sold, you know, for 1.2, you know, down the road two months ago doesn't mean you're in the same market at this point. You might be in a better market. You might be in a worse market. You really need to see that. A lot of times, and, and the Bank of Canada is also looking at this, they're looking at, you know, months of inventory. How many months of inventory of houses are out there? Can you sustain, if, if everything was to be bought up in the next however long, how long would you have until all the houses were bought up? That's months of inventory. If you have less than, you know, I think it's six months or less than three months in certain markets, you have a you have a seller's inventory. You have a seller's market. If you have more than that, you have a, a balanced market. And then if you, if you have even more, then you have a buyer's market. Right now, we're seeing a correction move more towards that balanced market where you've got, you know, no crazy increase in prices within a, you know, a short period of time and a solid, stable increase on an annual basis. And you've got buyers and sellers walking away a little happy, a little unhappy. And that's probably the best kind of balanced market you're going to get. Yeah. And I think, I think that's important to note is that a lot of people need to really take a look at the marketplace and, and there's got to be a bit of a balancing act. If you feel slighted, meaning that you way overpaid and you regret it, that's probably, you shouldn't have done it in the first place. Yeah. And, and, you know, I always, I, I've always told people, look at, if you feel uncomfortable, if you wake up the next morning and in your pit of your stomach, you wish you had not done this, then you know what, get out of the deal. Meaning hopefully you didn't buy it firm, walk away because people, you know, they get caught up in the 
the moment. They've got to have that house. It's the last house ever that's going to ever be the perfect home for them. Um, you know, our listeners have heard me uh, over the last uh, little while talking about Ian Grant, our producer here. He had gone through the same thing uh, last year, buying a home and, you know, lost, lost in competition, bought one, didn't, the you know, house was horrible, you know, but he found the four perfect homes in his life, you know, and I, and I think people have to understand that when you, when you lose out on one, it doesn't mean that the next one you find isn't going to be just as good, if not better for you. Absolutely. I actually talked to a lot of readers that, that have that, you know, we, we thought we six, we bid six times and we found the perfect, and then they find the perfect home. And, and what I always try and caution people is there's always another house on the market, always. And, and it really do, is about doing your due diligence, about understanding your budget, understanding, you know, how much you're paying, it for, paying for it, how much you're going to have to put in. You always have to put money into a home to, to do something, maintain something, repair something, uh, unless it's a new build. And even then you have to put money in to do the inspection to make sure the foundation is okay. So it, it's really doing your due diligence, getting that inspection. So let's uh, let's talk uh, about something I, I I find a little amusing. We'll just throw this out there: the idea of lifestyle videos when selling a property. You know, it's a, it's an interesting thing. There uh, there's been a few that have been done in the Toronto area, and um, you know, hey, listen, some of these uh, some of these videos when you see them, um, you know, they're definitely projecting a certain lifestyle. Um, are these are these accurate? Are these things that, you know, do we encourage realtors to be out doing this? Are we going to get buyers that are sitting there saying, I want to buy that lifestyle? Or are they kind of missing the boat a little and just they want to get their names in the, in, out in the industry? Well, I think I think this is a big dilemma for a realtor. Part of their job is to actually market themselves and market their properties, and we're always trying to find unique, creative ways to sort of get attention. And I think the, there's a Cortis Ontario realtor that said, you know, there's this home, it's been sitting, it's a great home, I need to do something to actually show this attention. So, so she created this this real estate video that, you know, she's a very attractive woman, young woman, and she's all over the house in, in you know, very provocative, very appealing ways to say, you know, this is a great home. I guess my dilemma is we really need to understand who you're actually trying to pitch to. Uh, as a woman, I know that, you know, there's been a lot of research and 80% of the big financial decisions are made by women. And, and often I don't want, uh, there's a picture of her in a bathtub, you know, with a rubber ducky. It feels a little odd to me to, to buy a home because another woman's lying in a bathtub in a provocative pose. But the husband on the other hand. The husband uh, might yeah. like it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, one, one, one of the things, and, and for those of you uh, that know, know me out there, um, you know, been in the industry uh, over 25 years, and I've seen a lot of things happen, and I always want to encourage safety for people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want there to be a misperception when something like this comes out and that this could have this person harmed, because, again, we know that there's a lot of situations that people can get themselves into, and unfortunately, they're uncontrollable. Uh, years ago, a, a fellow colleague of mine uh, Wendy Carroll was attacked and stabbed in Mississauga back in 1996. And when this happened, um, you know, she, uh, you know, absolutely, you know, devastating um, for her. Obviously, she she did li- live. She did survive. She was able to get away. Um, she's unfortunately been an advocate in speaking out against violence uh, to, uh, against women. But in general, the whole real estate community actually was on, like, in awe and shock of this situation. And again, you know, uh, very very attractive, very intelligent, well spoken uh, realtor. And unfortunately. You know, danger is out there. It's lurking. Um, You know, my biggest message to any realtor is, you know, be careful. No, no, you know, don't be alone uh, in a situation. Make sure you've got a backup. Make sure you've got people that you can reach out to or have with you. 
So again, a big concern. And it is a big concern. I, I think the, what we don't understand is you are meeting strangers in an isolated area. Home is an isolated area. Any other sort of profession that has to meet strangers can do it in a, in a public area, a coffee shop or a restaurant. But if you're in an isolated area and you've got you know no one around you, you don't know who you're attracting, and, and you could be old, young, you know, not, and it, it doesn't matter, and you could attract that sort of element. You do need to always be careful. And, and of course, putting yourself out there when you're an attractive woman and you put yourself out there, you're going to attract more attention. You might attract those individuals that don't have the best intentions. So it really plays safe. I know that for myself and my husband, you know, when I was practicing as a realtor, um, we had a whole system set up where I, you know, I really tried to take care of my own safety. I had children at home. I had a husband that cared about me. But even, you know, when I'm not dealing with real estate, I have a whole system, you know, if someone just comes to my door. Why? I understand that, you know, I have to be careful at all times. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, listen, once again, always fabulous to have you here on the show. And I thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Todd. Thanks, Romana. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right. So, folks, that was Romana King, and she is senior editor at Money Sense uh, Magazine. Always a great guest to have here on Simply Real Estate. I am an absolute fan. And uh, don't forget, you can always uh, read some of her articles in the next issue. And um, look, there's lots lots of reasons why people need to be safe. I just want people to, to remain so and uh, keep that in mind. And by the way, um, just a little update on the Simple Investor here. You're going to want to go to the simpleinvestor.com and ask for the information which is going to be released this week on our newest development with townhomes coming out at 99,900 and a three bedroom townhome for 1099 and these are investment ready tenanted properties positive cash flowing when you want to know more um, the only way you're going to get that information is go to the website and make a request and um, we will put you on the list so when it gets released later this week that you'll get, get to know and have an opportunity to buy into a fabulous development in southwestern Ontario. Um, of course, interesting week in, in, in real estate. Look, the Bank of Canada, I knew this was going to happen. I knew sooner or later somebody's going to start talking about the fact that these prices will start to stabilize. They have to. Um, you know, We can only be stupid for so long and overpay, but at, ultimately the demand itself will start to soften because everybody knows they have to go back into the market. Coming up next week, we will be having our guest, Benjamin Tall, on with us. I think that's going to be very exciting to be able to talk to an economist that definitely knows the world markets and especially Canadian market. So he's from CIBC and he will be joining us here at Simply Real Estate. Hey, listen, I want to thank Ian Grant, my uh, producer, and uh, I definitely want to thank all of you for tuning in. And uh, next week, four o'clock, you can reach me back here at Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010. Have a great week week.